Welcome to this new episode of the Imperfect Scientist. Podcast where we discuss tools to uncover your strengths and to empower you. I'm Daniel Mertens. And I'm Eva Benito. And this week we're going to talk um, about techniques to make your talks memorable. And one of those, um, one of the strongest ones is to tell a story. We want you to become storytellers. Storyteller is in fact going to be our word of the week, isn't it? A word of the day, excuse me. <laughs> the word of the day is going to be storyteller. And I'm very happy that we picked that uh, topic, that if I picked that topic, because it's a very strong topic that we both feel very strongly about. So you might even hear us agree to disagree. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, looking forward to that. <laughs> Absolutely. So what are we actually going to talk about in this episode, Daniel? Well, we have, um, there's these very few talks that are so well done that they're really memorable, right? Last week we talked about memorable. Um, so last episode, so, um, To make these talks really memorable, for me, it's very much about the story. And one key issue that we're going to come to is emotionalization and making, making it a story with people. With characters that you can remember and with a plot and with something that happens, right? Yeah. Exactly. Um, my take on this is that most of the times that you're listening to a talk, but this also applies actually to any other form of communication. Um, it's at least for me really difficult to stay tuned throughout the talk. Um, I'm usually very excited, very enthusiastic about listening to a topic. And unfortunately, very often I'm disappointed once I go there because I want to learn something that I remember. I'm really looking forward to, to getting this information and then And then it's really hard for me to to keep to stay focused, to remember, to have like a like this thread, this red line throughout. Very, very difficult. And one way that we believe, we both very strongly believe you can kind of overcome that, that people get lost is by by actually defining your message and telling a story rather than just a chronologically ordered set of facts. Yes. Um, so it's, it's uh, making it memorable. And um, I realized last week I had one experience, a very strong experience um, about where I tried to convey information uh, to two of my mentees and it went really bad. <laughs> it went, I, felt, I felt like I, I had understood. So I wanted to get across um, um, information that I learned from uh, Yolnova Harari and from uh, Covey, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, of how we can, if we manage to stand besides ourselves and watch ourselves, Harari calls it that these emotions and that these feelings, for example, being excited or being nervous, it's just biochemistry. And um, Covey talks about scripting, like um, that we're deeply scripted people. We have a long history of things that happen to us. So we strongly believe that we know who we are. Um, and that this is scripted, he calls that scripted, so that Daniel Mertens is scripted as being whatever, a chaotic person or something like this. 
And um, in both cases, if we manage to step besides ourselves and watch ourselves, then we're able to actually change. Because then we see, oh, that's a script. Oh, that's just biochemistry. That's making me nervous right now if I talk to that person or something. And um, I, I even told a very spectacular story about me uh, trying to mountain bike a, a route that was impossible to mountain bike, um, where I was in panic, whether I could make it and so forth. And, but I hadn't made this concept very clear that I'm much better at explaining right now with the scripting and so forth and standing beside myself. So I hadn't prepared that and I was lost. I saw on the faces of both of my mentees that I was Zooming with um, that they <laughs> didn't get the point. And the more I saw how, how um, you know, non-understanding they were, the more confused I got. And I really, at one point I just said, Okay, let's talk about something else. I can't. <laughs> you actually changed topic. Excellent. If you, you know, maybe that would be a good technique also in <laughs> so sure. when you're, you know, you realize your audience is completely lost and you're like, okay, let's just completely switch topic and do something that you actually care for <laughs> because I'm confused about this. I'm not able to convey this. Yeah. So for me, so for me, the message there was that, that I have to become a good storyteller. I have to prepare the story. Well, I had a story, but I have to prepare the message and the linkage better. Um, and a good storyteller has told the story before, because now I'm even better at conveying the message to you. Right. Um, because I've told the story before. So I learn by, by doing a lot and I should have told the story before. That could have been part of the preparation. I mean, both of them laughed, of course, and we all are in a team and they know me. So they know that sometimes I'm very confused, um, but fair enough. So, so for me, the message was uh, uh, prepare the story and think about how the message actually is and how you can put that into the story. So that was my, was my failure of the week. Excellent. <laughs> I um, Failing is part of learning. You can only, well, for most humans, um, you can only learn from your failures. There's very, there's relatively little um, that, that you usually learn from, from just succeeding on the first go. And of course, there are people who are extremely good at storytelling. But while you were talking, Daniel, I was thinking, how often do you actually see people around you as a scientist, think about the message that they want to convey with, um, with a talk, with a text, with, uh, with a pitch, with, with whatever it is, whatever form of communication. And unfortunately for me, the answer is rarely. And this links quite smoothly to what we were talking about last week. And the episode last week was all about what do you want them to remember? If you can define that, then your story can be tailored 100% to what you want them to remember. So in your case, um, if you wanted them to, to remember that, um, you know, staying beside yourself, kind of stepping out of yourself and looking at yourself from outside is a useful tool. If that's what you wanted to like people to remember, then you can make your story center 100% about that, right? Yes. And, and I'm always amazed and I probably shouldn't be when I do courses with um, PhD students about how to write their thesis and how to turn their uh, project and their information into a story. The first step is getting the message. 
how hard it is for them when we use the um, and but therefore tool, the, mm -hmm. uh, the ABT tool, where you combine two pieces of information with the and, and then you do the complication with the but, and then comes the therefore, um, the, the, how you address the task, how much they struggle with that, even though many of them are in their project for years, right? And, and I, I, maybe I shouldn't say that they struggle, but maybe I should also include myself to how, how many times I struggle as well to define, well, what is the message right now, right? And then turning that into a story, um, yeah, is then the next step. That's hard work. There's no doubt about it. I think we said last time as well, um, simple, simple rules are not necessarily easy to apply. It's still hard work to make something memorable. It's still hard work to, to really distill your message. You actually have to spend some time thinking about it. And for me, at least, I actually have to spend some time refining it because I I have like a, what I think in my mind is I'm a hundred percent sure this is what I want to say. And then, yes. and then I'm, I'm starting to, to practice my talk, for example, and I realize, no, that's not what I want to say. What, I, what was I thinking? I mean, this, this doesn't fit. This doesn't make any sense. I need to refine it and yes. then go again. So it's an iterative process and, and that's okay. And I think it's often that thinking outside of the, I just have to tell what I'm 100% sure about, which is my data, kind of, um, for scientists. I think that's what I've encountered most often. Um, and really realizing, okay, my audience wants to learn something. They want to receive kind of simple messages they can remember. Yes. So I need to take them by the hand. I, I need to make the effort um, to refine my message, to, to really be clear about it, and to adapt my content so that it will become something memorable. I become the storyteller. Yes. So for me to become a good storyteller, I want to get two things across today. One is this emo emotionalization and making it a story with people that includes people. And second is um, what you said, I'm gonna steal that from you, breaking the mold, like changing the chronological order because those were the two really big game changers for me at least. Um, that's the two things I want to talk about. Excellent. Yeah, so what are we actually going to talk about? We're going to talk about um, why telling a story is even important. Um, why, why should we even think about telling a story? We're scientists. We can process data. We can process information. Why shouldn't we just give data um, and, and everyone, you know, we could expect everyone to just be able to, to understand data because data data right yes. so why should we even care for telling a story let's let's maybe start with that um it's the way the brain is constructed right unfortunately the brain or maybe unfortunately i don't know um but the brain is not a computer right so the brain doesn't uh, have there are similarities to computer right but the main i think for me the main striking characteristics of the brain that we're starting to approach with computers and algorithms and artificial intelligence is uh connectivity Right, so that we have processing of information, and, and I guess most of you know that all, almost all of the information that comes into the brain at any moment is rejected because it's just way too much, and it's processed a lot. And what remains are things that can be connected, um, things that can be connected to experience, things that can be connected that are connected by themselves, that make sense within themselves, and then. Um, 
at this connectivity, you can attach then detail. And another word for this connectivity uh, is a story, right? So um, that's, I mean, our brains were constructed uh, 10,000 or 100,000 years ago. So um, science is a pretty new thing. Uh, well, depending on how you define science, I guess. But um, so for me, the point is that we have to adapt the data that comes out of the computers and the machines and the uh, experiments that we do. We have to adapt that data to this machine called brain, uh, which is processing connected information and which loves to connect things. Um, and this needs stories. So if you want to get your uh, scientific information across well, you, uh, this is better if you consider yourself a storyteller. Yes, I think this might be oversimplifying, but most of the times we are able to remember, you know, like stories from when we were kids. If you think about them, there is always kind of a hidden message in them. Be kind, be smart, be hardworking, be whatever it is. Um, and how do those work most of the time? There was this character, uh, they were behaving like this and this. Maybe that was typically like non-desired behavior in some way or form. And then they had this experience and they learned from it. Um, and this is, how, this is how it changed them. And we tend to remember that structure very well. It's also the structure that is used in movies, the structure that is used in um, series. And in fact, in series, something that happens very often is that you might have a topic, maybe it's a series about doctors, about medical cases um, or, or about something else, but there is always an underlying human emotional story about how this character interacts with this, this other character and um, do they get together or do they not and, and what happens to them and they struggle with this and that. And of course, this is only, you know, like partly applicable to telling a story in science, but the core of it, the fundamental can still be applied and it's an extremely powerful tool that is very, very much underused. And one of the things that makes us remember is when, would you said connectivity. And one of the ways to connect, probably one of the most powerful, at least in my opinion, is when you can say, oh, I can relate to that. Uh -huh. That happened to me. I know how that feels. Or in the case of data, ah, I've seen that before. Ah, okay, so like, I've seen uh -huh. that kind of range before. Does that make sense to me or not? I've struggled with that control. I know how hard this is to do. Oh, but I look how smart they've solved this. When you can actually start to relate to your own experiences. Absolutely. That's, I love that. Um, as you say, when, when you also feel that yourself, and I mean, there's um, different kinds of stories, right? There's detective stories um, where the uh, murderer is only disclosed in the end. And I guess that's nice for detective stories, right? And there are some scientific talks that are structured like this. But actually, scientific stories, at least in my opinion, should be different, right? They should not be detective stories. I mean, they can be. But then it should be more um, about how things were found. And those things should be disclosed in the beginning. It should be similar to how a manuscript is constructed, right? Where the abstract actually discloses 
the ABT, the information, the complication and the solution. Everything's disclosed in the abstract so that people can decide. So I think that people actually, um, my concept now is to do that also in talks, to start with the kind of abstract, uh, interesting though, not, I'm not calling it an abstract obviously, but disclosing what they will hear so that they can decide whether they want to go along with all of this. Um, and then you can still turn it into a detective story of how you found those conclusions. But actually, and that's the breaking, what you phrased so nicely as breaking the mold, that's actually starting off with, um, you know, what you're going to tell them. I mean, along those lines, tell them what you're going to tell them, tell them, and then tell them what you told them, right? Absolutely. This is one of my favorite um, not just my favorite, it's one of my mantras for preparing any kind of um, topic that I want to convey information on in science. Uh, I, I, we both very much strongly feel for this, that science communication should be about effective communication. Sure, you can turn it into a detective story, uh, but even like this, I think we, at least I would advocate for, for telling them what you're going to tell them to begin with. Um, and that actually brings us to, to something that's very, very important, which is the beginning and the end. And, and it's just actually, it's actually very simple as it usually is. It's very, very simple. Just remember that structure. Tell them what you're going to tell them. That's your beginning. And why is it interesting? Maybe one way of doing that is actually thinking of a question that they might be interested in. Phrase it as a question. Have you ever wondered how it is that this happened? Um, did it ever occur to you that this could happen like this and this? Well, this is what we were doing. And this is what we're going to talk about today. The beginning has to be strong. It has to get people interested. That's tell them what you're going to tell them. And, and the end, and the end and, is also crucial. And the beginning is also how the two of us met, right, Eva? I mean, we met one of the most striking things that I learned about um, how, to, how to give a talk, how a presentation should be structured, I learned from Eva. Uh, how long ago? I can't remember. I'm really bad with, with timing. Um, maybe you can disclose that if you remember. But that was a course that um, we did, right, where I was supposed to teach you on how to do a talk. And actually, what happened is that I learned from you, from the participant. Trainer learned from the participant, thank God. Um, and, the, and the thing that I learned from you was... Um, that you said you have to catch them in the beginning, right? The audience is sitting, the speaker comes to the, to the podium or to the microphone and already there you start considering, okay, how is that going to be? How does that person look? Um, is that going to be interesting or not? And then you said you have to catch them in the beginning. Um, and the beginning is the first few slides, maybe even the first slide or the first one and two slides, the audience decides either oh, that's going to be interesting. Let's, that's, that sounds really cool. Or, oh, okay, this is going to be more of the same. Thank God I have my computer with me and can work on my emails. You didn't say that, but that's what I'm thinking. Um, Absolutely. So you have to catch <laughs> that's them with exactly the first, how I feel. Yes, and, and you have to catch them with the first few slides. You have to take, you have to catch them. So the first few slides you at that point said, don't even, maybe don't even have words or lettering, just images. And um, yeah, that's what I learned from you in that course. And that's how we met. That's how we met, exactly. Um, that was a kind of a very strong um, uh, episode. I don't know, like a kind of a very, 
yes, uh, where someone feels, you know, like very strongly about something and, and there is, there is like a special kind of connection, like where things align. Um, that's at least how I remember it. <laughs> and um, I do, I still feel very strongly about the beginning. And I even would, would put it even more um, extremely in that sense that you don't need any slides at the beginning. People are, you have about 30 seconds, probably even less before you even have a slide where you actually step, let's say for a talk, uh, if it's a text, also you have the very first, the, the beginning. Um, but let's say if you're giving a talk, you have the first 10 seconds where people are going to kind of judge, okay, like, is this person very nervous? Does they come, do they come across um, confident, kind of nice? Then you, you actually have their full attention for that first sentence you're going to say. And if you start with, well, thank you for introducing me today. I'm very excited to be here. It's like, oh my God, yeah, you already wasted five or 10 seconds of your 30 seconds of attention. Um, I personally would prefer to use or choose to use those first 30 seconds to, to tell them what I'm going to talk about, to tell them what I'm going to tell them. And I like to phrase it as a question because the brain likes to answer questions. How many of you did this and this today? Um, well, today we're going to talk about blah, blah. I don't know. I once heard a talk about memory. Memory and epigenetics is my research topic, uh, the one that's close to my heart. And one of the, um, the most prominent scientists, um, Richard Morris, who invented like a memory test, was giving a talk once. And he was talking about how memories that are kind of very deeply ingrained worked. His question was, if I ask you what you were doing during 9-11, um, uh, during do you remember when you learned about it, when it happened? And everyone was like, yes, 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 of course. I remember I was doing my laundry or I was um, talking to a friend, I was driving, I was whatever. And then he went on to talk about how those kinds of memories get formed. So it is really, really catchy, right? You ask a question and in your mind, you're answering it. You don't have to start with a question, but it's a technique, it's one way. The important thing is to, for me to follow that structure Tell them what you're going to tell them. That's your first 30 seconds. You don't need a slide for that. You just need to kind of use that opportunity to interact with them. It's a precious opportunity. They're yeah. listening to you with their full attention. After that, you might go into the introduction and maybe half of the audience, maybe more, maybe less, are going to go, maybe if you're doing a good job or if they like to listen, they will really tune into that. Maybe they'll go like, okay, when she's done with the introduction, I'll tune back in because this sounds like it could be interesting. However it is, those 30 seconds are really precious. I, um, we had a discussion about um, sleep and studies about sleep and um, data about sleep. <laughs> and some of, uh, one of the participants said that um, he heard a talk about sleep. Um, one of the most famous people whose name I forgot again because I'm really bad with details. What I remember though is how that person started their talk about sleep and he started by saying, I'm going to talk about sleep and the one thing that most of you will remember is the story with the testicles. Yeah. Because, <laughs> because men who sleep less, their testicles are smaller. And believe it, of course, that was the one thing I remembered some other things because it was just last week. Thank God. But um, that's the one thing that's easiest to remember. Right. Um, and of course he, he showed them the data and proved everything and so forth. 
but he was able to pick the one thing that many people, at least men, I guess, will remember. Um, and that's, uh, <laughs> so I just, I just now realized how good a beginning that is, yeah. Yeah. And, and that's also, that ties in, I think, very well with emotionalizing your yes. story. Yeah, you come across as not as a robot who is presenting data and it could be anybody else. No, it's you. It's you with all of your uniqueness. It's you with your passion for your data. It's you who have the scientific question that is so interesting that you have to tell the world about it. And um, Simon Zinek says, um, getting to the why, it's the limbic system that takes decisions. Um, I still have to read up whether that's uh, true or not. But if, you, if that's true, if the limbic system is taking the decisions and the um, rational system is then afterwards rationalizing of why you took the decision, the underlying decision of the audience in your talk is going to be whether that's true or not and whether that's interesting or not. And I guess both of those decisions are in part, of course, based on the data that you're showing. But actually, you can show very many things um, up there that need not even reflect experiments in the most drastic situation, right? Um, but could be faked or something. So the, the decision of whether that's true or not and whether they believe you or not and whether that's interesting or not is based on lots of additional things, right? Body language, um, the way you're standing there, the way you present it, the way the story makes sense, the way the story connects with what their experience is and so forth. So there's many things in addition to the data that you're showing that's going to convince them um, whether that's true. And those decisions are also taken emotionally. Yes. Which sounds weird um, as, as scientists, but if you look at how the brain works, I mean, it was constructed before um, whatever... Um, high-level high data was invented. So um, it works in different ways and you just use those ways. I mean, there's no good or bad. Obviously the brain is a very well-working machine. So we just um, adapt to how it works by telling, by becoming good storytellers. Absolutely. I think if there was an image that I would want our audience to remember today, it would be the image of a campfire and people sitting around it and someone telling a story. Um, if you can, if you can remember that when and kind of, you know, like become the storyteller in that um, in that setting, then then you've already come a long way. That's excellent. Sitting around the campfire, I get goosebumps. That's such a good image. Um, it is kind of, and, and it is. What, we, what the brain has been trained for. That's, that's, you know, like we've been sitting around campfires, virtual or physical for years, for thousands of years. And it doesn't need to be a tale or a fable, right? Those stories connect best, which are actually true. Absolutely, absolutely. Campfires, stories are not just fables or, or tales, exactly. They, they can be, um, but they can also be, you know, like we're going to talk about how to protect the village from something. I mean, get around uh, the campfire and, 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 you know, present the problem, um, then, then come up with solutions and then, and then recap those solutions. And again, this would be, Tell them what you're going to tell them, then tell them and tell them what you've told them, recapping at the end.
And I mean, sitting around the campfire and um, uh, telling stories, being a storyteller um, is not only about entertaining. I mean, entertaining is part of it, but I guess the human invention or the evolutionary invention of storytelling is to transfer information, right? So that when the storyteller at the campfire talks about how he fought the bear, that the young ones can actually profit from that experience and become better bear hunters. And it's exactly the same thing that we're doing in science, right? So that other people learn from our data. So I guess that the message here is that um, to convey information, which is really key, so that the others learn from our experience, from our experiments, um, you entertain them as well by making it a story with people and with emotions so that they're entertained and that, they're, and that the story also makes sense. Um, so that they can attach, that I can, me personally, that I can, because I'm so bad at remembering details, that I can attach at least some details to the story. I think we made already like a very strong point about emotionalization and why it is important, why storytelling, why becoming a good storyteller is so important. Um, we talked about why the beginning and the end, well, we talked mostly about the, why the beginning is so important, why we feel that the beginning is so important. Um, the end is no more than, you know, like, again, a simple thought, uh, but maybe one that's that you, you want to try out and see how easy it comes or how naturally it comes to you. Uh, because, to recap what you thought. That's, that's what people remember, right? I, I read this hilarious information about um, another, sorry, weird topic, but endosco endoscopy, like... Um, Mm -hmm. endoscopy and they looked at how people um remembered that and actually what they remember is the end mm -hmm. so if you would so they made uh, people they asked people afterwards and they made an experiment which is ethically i'm not so sure so they uh, made the normal required endoscopy which was painful so there's a, not, a certain amount of pain that that's required and that's high intense pain And then for some people, they added pain in the end, but it was much less. So those people in the sum actually had more pain, right? They had the required pain. And then in the end, they had uh, reduced pain. That a was a terrible amount of pain. Yes, of. Uh, much less. And then afterwards, they asked people um, whether they would go again for endoscopy or something. And believe it or not, the people who had in total more pain, but where the ending was less painful, those would say, oh, it wasn't so bad. And you go like, what? Mm. Because quantitatively, objectively, the amount of pain was more. But because the ending was less, they thought that the total procedure was actually less painful. And that might, again, be a weird, very weird um, um topic and, and, and story. But for me, that was again, so striking that the ending is all important. This is what they go away with. This mm -hmm. is what they, they leave the, the lecture hall is going to be the end, the beginning probably. And the end, this is what they take home. So, and, and I mean, in many, many talks, the end is in my opinion, wasted with the acknowledgement slide, right? Um, which has to be there. So you have to acknowledge people somehow, somewhere. And then um, most people will start the clapping. So either you directly after the acknowledgement slide, put in another slide to just get the message home, 
or you kind of distribute the acknowledgement slide um, somewhere over the talk. I'm still not 100% sure on how to solve the problem, but the whole point is that the end, in the end, you again say, you know, what that was all about and the message they want to take home. Maybe you combine that with the acknowledgement slide. I don't know. I Maybe. Um, what I was thinking is if you really, for most of the people who to do those really outstanding memorable talks um, on any topic, the end ties to the beginning very, very smartly usually. Yes. Um, it could even be the same picture now with an answer to your question or at least a partial answer to your question. It could be something to remember, you know, like, so next time that, I don't know, you go get an endoscopy has to be, you know, like given a small amount of pain at the end, because then you know that you'll remember it as something bearable and, and, and kind of where you could go through it again. Uh, whatever it is, you know, like that could be something you're going to talk about how to persuade patients to get an endoscopy if when they need it. And, and, and that could be your end message, right? However, it is the, if the end ties up to the beginning, then, then that's really, really powerful. Um, not just because the beginning is how you come across and, and what you tell them, but also if it kind of ties in back into the beginning, the end, then, um, then it's a lot easier to remember. Once again, it's all about becoming a good storyteller, isn't it? So it was um, beginning and ending, emotionalization or putting people into the story. And um, one more thing that I've also learned from my experience with my mentees, right? Is to practice, so to pitch, right? Yes, maybe maybe pitching is something we can even make like a whole episode on because I was thinking when you talked about the ABT tool, the and, but therefore, this is very powerful and we can definitely expand and we can have like a whole discussion on tools and ways to use pitching and ABT and how to slowly build up a pitch. Um, but maybe because you also stated this at the beginning that you wanted to talk about emotionalization and we've covered that in detail. And we also wanted to talk about breaking the mold. Um, and we've talked about breaking the mold. We've talked about maybe something that's a counterintuitive, which is already disclosing the message at the beginning, um, then telling about it and then recapping it. But maybe there is one more twist we want to we want to take uh, our audience a little bit further. And how do we break that chronological order, that mold, um, when giving a talk, when 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 writing a text? Um, the usual way of of conveying scientific information is to kind of start with the beginning, um, with an introduction, then to talk about the data, um, and then to give a conclusion uh, about what that meant and how you interpreted it. But if we follow what we've been saying now throughout like the storyteller's perspective of this, what would that be? What would that new order be? Well, for me, it's all about disclosing the breaking. The order would be disclosing everything in the beginning, right? Like an abstract and then, and mostly discussing the, the need, right? Because I think the, the, the information transfer should be circled around the need. Um, that's the key thing the problem, the issue, and best if that issue also connects with the audience, right? And then before that comes the context that they need, uh, the things they need to know to understand the need. 
And then comes um, the task, what you decided to do to, to, in order to address that need. And then comes the conclusion. And all of that should be in the beginning of the talk. Exactly. And, can, and, and, and only then after that comes the, um, the findings, the data to support your conclusion. And the, the body of the talk is then all of that, right? Where you reiterate um, your, your conclusions again and again, um, where you build them using the data, which is the, needed to convince the audience that you're a good scientist and that the stuff that you're saying is actually making sense. And then in the end comes the conclusion again, probably coupled to the need, ideally also of the audience. Um, exactly, just to recap, that breaking the breaking the mold is all about what we've been saying all this time. That you start by disclosing already what it is you're going to talk about. Um, instead of going so introduction, body, conclusion, you move the conclusion already to the beginning. This is what I'm going to talk about, and now I'm going to use this rest of my time to convince you, kind of. Um, you know, like to tell you a story about how we went about this problem, to become the storyteller of how we approach this really interesting question and how far we've gotten. And then recap at the end, these are my conclusions based on my data. And that's what I told you I would talk, I would talk about at the beginning. The, and disclosing the, not only saying, this is what I'm going to talk about, but actually saying, this is what we found. Exactly. This is what I'm going to talk about. Uh, this is what we found. And this is how we approached it. How did we go about this? then you use like the body of the presentation or your text uh, to, to actually tell a story about it, to actually tell the story of how that happened. Yeah. And that's and, different to what many people do. Um, um, I mean, there's very frequently detective stories, right? Where um, the conclusion is only disclosed in the end, yeah. which doesn't allow for informed decision of the audience, right? Whether that's gonna be interesting or not in the beginning, but there, um, so this might also be then disappointing that people something else also happens in your brain when that happens um, you know like when, when the conclusion is only disclosed at the end um, which is very different to let's say an entertaining movie or an entertaining book which is when you read an entertaining book or movie you, you follow the storyline and it has twists and goes back and forth you have to remember all of that and you start making those connections, right? You start like at some point towards the end, you were like, but at the beginning, something like this happened. And that's why, oh, that was the guy or that was the, the person who, who was responsible for that. And, and, and oh, that was just like hidden. Um, and then you're revealing like little by little pieces so that the reader or the listener or the viewer comes to that on their own in anticipation. If you do that in a scientific talk, maybe it could be entertaining but you're forcing your, the people, your audience to keep track of all the things that are very clear in your head, but they're listening to for the first time. I'm, and they have to like keep that in working memory. And, and, and that's very tough. That's a tough job, right? Yeah. I mean, the, the major goal for the book would be to be entertaining, right? And the books are mostly about things that are much less complicated than our science, at least my science. So if you consider really complicated stuff like um, reading the Game of Thrones, right? Mm -hmm. and, and if I had like a week in between reading episodes, <laughs> there were additional characters and even more characters putting in, 
I tended to become confused and thinking like, oh my God, okay, I can't remember what, who that person actually was. So let's just see what ha- what's, when that person is going to die in the, in the book again, right? Um, <laughs> yeah, because they are going to die eventually. They're going to die anyway. So, um, so you don't want this to happen in your much more complicated scientific data, right? If you include just another kinase, just another phosphatase, right? So um, I think that's where the difference is between, I just realized right now talking to you that that's the major difference between books and detective stories is that they're only entertaining and actually they're much less complicated than the stuff that we're usually working with, right? So that's why we use this different model, uh, this different system of actually disclosing everything in the beginning, because then it's much easier to remember things and which are more complicated in science. And yes, it should be entertaining, but most of it, it, sh- it should be memorable, right? Um, and the message, the, only the message should be memorable, not the detail, but you want and, to get and, the message. Because, across. you know, like what effectively happens in your brain when you go and say, today I'm going to talk about this and this is what we found. What happens in, 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 in my brain when someone tells me that is that I build up expectations. Okay, if that's what happens, then I expect to see data along these lines. And then comes the data and it fits my expectation. Excellent, I'm good. I don't need to, you know, like, great, I'm coming along. And then comes the end and it's like, yes, yes, that's exactly what I was seeing. Because what are we looking for? We're always looking for conflict, right? It's like, ah, but that data doesn't actually true. that conclusion, right? I mean, that doesn't really 100% fit. And then it's like where I go, ah, but look, this particular piece of information didn't actually fit. How do you explain that? And this is where you learn from the other person's insight. So if you've already told them um, what you're going to tell them, and, and then you actually tell them some a story that fits, their brains are at peace, you know, like they're going like, okay, okay, that's making sense. That's not, I can think of that. Let me review that. Let's discuss this a little bit more. So you build up that expectation, um, which you don't, if you just say, I'm going to talk about this. And then you start, you start telling something and people are interpreting in their mind what that means. And at the end they go like, ah, that's your conclusion. But that, wait, what? That doesn't really fit like what I was following. Yes. Um, so. so you practically, you give them the, the beginning and the ending in the beginning, right? And then during your talk, in the body of your talk, you connect those two, right? Yes. You use them. That's, that's your storytelling. The body, of the, the body of your talk, of your text, of your communication, of your message um, is where you get to be the storyteller, where you get to say, Hey, I told you I was going to tell you about how I escaped the bear. Um, and this is what happened. Like this, I was in the woods and um, I heard a sound and I thought it could be a wild boar, but actually there were these tracks and I thought it could actually be a bear and whatever. But yeah. that's where you actually become the story. Yeah. yeah. So you start by saying, you know, there's this bear that showed up. That will be then the, then the, uh, the need, right? It's, the bear is a danger. How do you escape it? Like the need would be how do you escape it? I think, you know, yes. like there's a bear. Or how to kill it. And then you or say in the end, it. I survived by um, this and this. And I, 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 I don't know, I, I was able to escape it in that area of, the, of our valley. And it was a very special way in using the, the right tree or something. 
Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, like in science, if I think about it, it would be more along the lines of everybody thought that there was, you know, like only this species of bear in this wood. Um, and today I'm going to tell you about how I discovered this other new species of bear in the wood um, and how it almost killed me or something like that. If you wanted to really make it like a like a cliffhanger. Um, and then the talk would be all about, um, I went out to, to look for for evidence that this bear existed. And first I found these tracks and then I found like, you know, this poop from the bear, I don't know. And it was different from the poop of the most of the bear of the population. And then I actually realized, okay, there was like less species of this thing that the bear was eating. Um, and in the end, like all of this points to the bear and, and I actually saw it at the end, I don't know, like, um, and it almost, it, it attacked me. I don't know if you if you actually had the experience, but that's, that's pretty much how it, it would it would go at least in my in my head you know like kind of spontaneously thinking about how you would turn you know, like the bear story into a science story um but in any case i think you know regardless and this is important like regardless of content and it's so hard to let go of, to do that say regardless of my content no um that's important regardless of that what what do you want them to remember how are you going to tell them the story so if so what's actually the story of your last week um, I don't have a very compelling one, actually. I have to admit, I the one thing when I was thinking about my my last week in storytelling. Um, yesterday, I was um, with uh, with my own daughter and one of her friends, and the the small the small brother of 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 uh, my daughter's friend. So two five year olds and a two year old, pretty much. And they were going crazy. And I thought, I need to tell them a story. And what I did to catch their attention, because the story could have been about anything, is that I turned them into characters of the story. So they became, you know, like the ninja, the warrior princess, and the, um, the, the helper who had like the magical uh, shield. And all of a sudden, it became quiet. And they were 100% tuned because they were relating to it, right? They were fighting a dragon. They were the main characters. And, and, and that's, what, that's what comes to mind that you, somehow if you abstract this, that you, this is what I was saying at the beginning that when you go as a, as a listener, oh, but I know how that feels. Oh, but I've seen that. Yeah, I like kind of, that makes sense. And, or I've been there, I've been there. How did I solve it? How did that person solve it differently? This is where you really connect. True. And you can also turn things that are lifeless into something that has a life, right? You can, you can say the, the kinase is actually amongst, uh, or the DNA is a chaotic heap of something. So the transcription factor has to find their binding motive. Where you go like, no, the transcription factor is just a well, lifeless blob of protein that by uh, stochastics and Brownian, Brownian movement and affinities actually binding. It's just physics of proteins, right? But if you say the transcription factor has to find in that huge chaos of uh, DNA, their transcription, their binding site, um, suddenly you feel like you would be the one or you can connect with that because th there's been so many times when you were lost, I don't know, in the London tube or somewhere where it's really, and you have to find this one specific thing. So you directly can connect with this transcription factor 
that's this, um, you know, human, it's uh, not hum humanization, um, but it's kind of connecting with things, emotionalizing things uh, that actually have no emotions, but making it easier for us to, co to convey the message. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. And, and uh, making the audience part of that story, as you said, with, with your children. And I guess a noisy, tired audience is quite similar to five-year-olds and two-year-olds, right? I'm afraid that the fundamentals um, are pretty similar. Yes, <laughs> yes they are. <laughs> yes. Yeah, um, I think we covered like uh, good ground today. Um, I definitely think we can do a whole episode on pitching. Maybe that can be our next episode, our next um, topic about how to develop the pitch, like different, like little baby steps to developing a very, very powerful pitch. Absolutely. And, and I actually learned a number of things today, again, just talking to you. I wasn't that aware that it's actually the beginning and the ending that you talk about in the beginning, right? And then that the story that the bulk of the, or not the bulk, but the body of the talk is then going to connect those beginning and endings. That wasn't so clear to me. That just got clear to me right now. That's what um, happens often with me, like in this process of preparing something when you discuss uh, and when you practice, even for yourself, where, you know, like I'm so often, well, let's say disappointed and, or I'm not disappointed anymore, I think at this point, but you know, um, at least surprised how often it happens that I think I'm hundred percent clear in my mind. But once I actually start verbalizing it and trying to put it into a story, I'm not. And I need that practice. I need, I need to arrive at that point myself before I can tell anybody else about it. Yes. Effectively, effectively. Yes. And that was exactly what, what happened to me now with being able to convey um, the Kovei and Harari standing beside yourself thing, how much better it was now this second time than it was the first time. <laughs> with my two mentees, uh, which was so chaotic. So that's practicing and repetition. And that's, I'm looking forward to the pitching, which we're going to do next, because that's the whole thing. Um, yeah. Well, with that, I think we say goodbye for today. Have a happy week. We're looking forward to seeing you next week. Yes. <laughs>